You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. <laughs> Uh, hey guys, welcome to the Afterlaugh. Um, this is a very different episode, right? <laughs> is that what they would say for the After School Special? A very special episode. Um, I have both a friend uh, and also our first non-comedy world person. We've had directors and showrunners and writers, yeah. but we've never had a musician, a straight musician. We had a magician. We had but a magician. This, you know, we haven't had like mm -hmm. a music. But that was also icon. comedy magic. So it was yeah, slightly yeah. different stuff. Mm -hmm. um, now, but but this is in uh, in accordance with our podcast because I met her after a show at the Laugh Factory. That's, so that's after right, Laugh, there it is. So yep. Eva, hi, how you doing? Hi. I'm so glad. I'm great. Thanks for having I'm me. I'm so glad. you came. I've actually been begging you for uh, a few months and you're on the tour. Right? So, so first of all, um, for the people who don't know you. Uh, this is Eva Gardner. Hello. Uh, this G-A-R-D-N-E-R, -E if you mm -hmm. guys want. And, you know, I looked you up. You have, like, a full-fledged Wikipedia page. Now, did you yeah. have anything to do with that? It, no, I just – someone told me I had a page one day, and I looked at it, and I was like, whoa, okay, that, that's, that's there. That's the of cool where you're like, oh, that was someone had cool. to tell you you had a Wikipedia page. I, actually, I had no idea. Can I tell you an awful embarrassment? So I tried to get a Wikipedia page done, and they made one. And then someone wrote back and said, hey, remove it. Bill Doss isn't famous enough. What? And they removed it. Yeah. That's terrible. But, but is also, it because you made it yourself? No, someone else made it. But then other people uh, re removed it. It was, it was a very sad moment is... because I guess they're like, what was he, what, oh, he was on All My Children? Get rid of that fucking clown. No. Um, but you have a very, very uh, – it's, it's actually kind of intimidating and crazy and impressive how much stuff you've done. Let's um, – <laughs> I don't want. I don't want. I feel like I should just say, "Hey, let's hear your story from birth until now," and then I will moonwalk away from the podcast. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, let's let's get a little bit of your story. Your um, you uh, your f parents were musicians, or your your your, your father, correct? My dad. Uh, what type of musician was he? He was part of the British invasion. He was a bass player as well, uh -huh. and part of. Uh, now explain it to people because they're millennials watching. <laughs> what the like, Tommy? Do you know what the British invasion is? It is a preset on the Logic Guitar Amps program. There is a sound on there. That yeah. is, is that like so... the Clash? That's Brit, Brit Clean. Is that what it's called? Brit Clean. Brit Clean. See, she knows. Yeah, that's what it's called. Are you being sarcastic? Do you not no, know? No, no. Brit Clean. There's also British Invasion and British uh, Dirty. I don't know. Okay, but do you know what <laughs> the British Invasion was? Was the Clash the British Invasion? A little bit before that. Okay. So, like, it's associated with, like, Beatlemania. The okay. Beatles? <laughs> Yeah. Heard of him. Yeah. He's 24. What does he know? Okay. So you that yesterday movie. <laughs> what if that was my I can't, only By the way, I've the thought Beatles. about, you know, the movie Yesterday is coming out, right? No. It's basically about a guy who travels back in time and he steals the Beatles songbook and he mm. claims it as his own. He wakes up one day and nobody on the planet remembers the Beatles. Oh, So you he's know, the only one who knows the songs. I, I and saw, he just, yeah. He just plays them as his own, yeah. I saw a, a preview for that. I've thought about doing that for... I've, I've always thought about that idea. Like, what Somebody if I can beat go you back to in it. time and come up with all those great Jason Mraz songs? Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, uh... Take some back to so, the future. Uh, so your dad was part... Now, as the British Invasion, what was his band? So he was in a band... Uh, his first... He was, he was from London... Uh -huh. And he lived in the same neighborhood as Ronnie Wood from the Rolling Stones. So they were in their first band together when they were 15 called the Birds. The British Birds. B-I-R-D-S. Why do you say the British Birds? Is there another because band called the Birds there's with a Y? A, yes, there's an American Birds What's with the, the y. Birds that I know? Probably the Birds with the Y. Ta oh, really? Mr. Tambourine Man. And oh, Mr. Tambourine Man, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they stole your dad's band? Name? Well, they, that's why they have a Y in their name because the British Birds came first. And there's like a whole legal shitty. thing and all that. So how did the legal thing resolve itself? Well, the the American birds had to put a Y in their name. 
Oh, so they were, the American birds were originally called birds with an eye. I don't. I don't really know. I mean, I, I would assume so because there were some legal. There was some legal stuff. So British birds were around first. The American birds came along. Ho ha hum. They have a Y in their name because the British birds had an I in their name. That's kind of genius. I should go by the name Dan Cook. D A I N. Okay. <laughs> get away with it. So, um, did your uh, did the birds the English birds did they have a an American Billboard hit? I don't think that they did, but they um, they they're pretty known now. You know, like as sort of a a classic garage band from that era. Interesting. And then he was in a band called The Creation which was a little bit more well-known. They had a song called Making Time, which which became popularized in um, that movie Rushmore. Okay, yeah. Jason Schwartzman. Can you, can you sing a bar, too? Making time. Yeah, that song. I'm, I'm so not a musician, so I'll be learning about music. And there's a cool, there's a cool <laughs> trivia for that band. So um, everyone associates Jimmy Page with the violin bow with the guitar yeah. thing. He made that famous, but he stole that from the creation. Eddie so, Phillips did it first. And my dad remembers Jimmy Page and Robert Plant coming to creation shows like they were in the fan club. I heard he stole a few things. He stole quite a few things. Yeah. Pretty but the creation band, started, like, Eddie Phillips was the one that did the violin bow. Oh, my God. You know what's so interesting thing. about that is that you always think, as comics, obviously, thievery, joke thievery, is such a huge thing that gets bandied about. Like, sure. He stole my joke. He stole my premise. And nine times out of ten, it's completely without merit. But obviously, in the music world, it's a lot more uh, detrimental to a career and to someone's livelihood, I imagine. Well, I mean... It- I mean, art in general, it happens all the time, right? Yeah. You're, you're borrowing from, from your idols or people. You're, sometimes you're influenced by people you don't even know and things come out in your art. But sometimes it's more blatant than others. Yeah. And um, I think in that particular situation, um, it was pretty blatant. Yeah, it sounds like it. Well, it's also th- there's a whole thing about copyright infringement. You can't patent an idea. You can patent music. You can patent a melody, mm-hmm. which is why... You know, Pharrell Williams can lose in a lawsuit with what was the song? What was the one that? Oh, Happy Blurred, li- Blurred, Blurred Lines, Lines. which yeah. was ripped off. I mean, that happens all the time. Music where, where and I, and I listen to both songs. I'm like, ah, it's different to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's only eight notes, you know. But they, but a lot of people have been sued and they've and they've lost and they've won based on. But as a comic, you can't steal. You can't literally steal a joke legally because you can steal a premise legally. Oh no. Oh, you can, no, my point is you can steal everything as a comic legally and there's no policing it. There's no legal oh, yeah. action to take. You can't take someone. We police ourselves someone. as a community. Okay. Like, apparently, like joke thief, don't book them. Like know? Dennis Leary stole – I mean I don't know if this is true. It might be more apocryphal. But Dennis Leary apparently stole half of Bill Hicks' act. Oh, I mean really? he stole his whole premise and his whole act out and personality. So yeah. there's no repercussions for that? I mean there's repercussions kind of on land? the DL but he there's actually no Louis law bit. about it because people really? can just say – well, you can't patent an idea. So when people do get accused of, of stealing a joke, the defense is, well, we've both thought of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for something like this, the Jimmy Page thing, stealing the, the, the violin, it's sort of, uh, well, that's just an idea I came up with. If he said that, you're like, well, I saw you watch me do that. You were in the fan club, dude. Yeah, but there's still no way to legally enforce that. Okay, so that's very <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, so, so your dad's obviously creating all these great bands and getting stole from. Okay, so then the creation, and he was a bass player? Yes. The whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and after the creation, was that his last band? No, then he was in a band called Ashton, Gardner, and Dyke. Uh-huh. Um, they had a hit called The Resurrection Shuffle. It was covered by Tom Jones. And um, I don't think they got really big in the States. Most of his bands were more popular overseas. Yeah. Um, namely Europe, uh, Ashton, Gardner, and Dyke. Um, they got over to Australia. They were popular over there. Okay. And... Um, uh, yeah, and then he played. He played on a bunch of records. Played in a bunch of bands. Like he was on tour for the first few years that I was around. That yeah. I was born. Yeah. And did he? Um, did he come to the states with the idea of this is where you make it in music? Was it kind of one of those things where people move here? Like this is where if you want to be a world class famous musician, you got to do it in America. I think that his band his band was signed to Capitol uh-huh. at the time, and he also had met my mother in New Orleans. And so, at a show? No, in a bar. At a bar? Yeah. And the, had she seen him perform? At a bar yet? on Bourbon Street. No. I'm always amazed when people, when performers meet women not at shows. I'm like, how did you impress the person if it wasn't at a show? Just by speaking well, to her at a well, bar? Well, there's a kind of a funny story about how they met. Yeah. So they met in a bar on Bourbon Street. 
mom lived in the French Quarter and she heard there was like a, a rock and roll band in, in the neighborhood and saw my dad and was like, hey, I hear you a rock and roll star. Oh, how'd she know it was him that he was in the... Because she knew, like, you know, like they're all hanging out at the bar. Yeah. She lived in the neighborhood. And a rock star in a bar stands out. British, a bunch of British guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, in a bar in New Orleans. And, and she's a Southern... She's a Southern what is your hair, What is your ethnicity real quick? Because I know there's a lot I'm of I'm Lebanese and English. Lebanese and English. And yeah. your, your mother is... Lebanese. 100% Lebanese. Yeah. And she's in New Orleans. Yeah. Is that... Is there a community there? A Lebanese community? Well, I, uh, my family, she's like third generation. Okay. So I believe that, um, she, and, and my, my grandparents are Louisiana and Texas. So. Okay. I, I met your mom, right? Yeah. And so. did she have, did she have like a Creole Louisiana accent? She has an accent. Really? I yeah. She does so have funny. an accent. Okay. So you, um, so they met the bar. What's the story? They met at a bar and my mom's like, I hear you a rock and roll style. <laughs> and then my dad said, fuck off fatty. Whoa. <laughs> to my mom. Yeah, that's how that's met. his first that's words. That's his first words to my mother. Fatty. Yeah, so she fucked off. So she fucked off. Yeah, and then how and that was they... it for that night. Jesus. Oh, oh, yeah. and that's then you night were never one. Born. Yeah, that was night one. Yeah. And then uh, a few nights later, they saw each other at a at a house party, and got together, and then that, they were together ever since. This sounds like a really cool story where like Eva Gardner was not born in certain realities and you have to go back in time yeah. and make sure that they finally met mm-hmm. make sure that house party happens and yeah. they both end up there so at the house party because i love these stories so the house party he sees her again recognizes her she does she approach him or she's like i'm not gonna talk to this i guy. don't really know how the logistics exactly but for whatever reason the spark was there and uh-huh. um their first interaction was a success somehow and that that um those words that were exchanged i guess worked out pretty well yeah now, by the first interaction with success, you mean you were conceived that night at the no, house party? No, 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 no. I mean, like, like at the bar, like, yeah. you know, her trying to pick up on him and him telling her to fuck off, basically. Okay. I want to talk about that real quick. Tommy's a single guy here in L.A., and we've been doing some dating things for him. Sure. And there, when, I, when I was a kid, no, but there was the whole thing of, of the pickup artist and nagging women. Now, I don't think that... What does ne- that mean? Oh, negging, negging like being negative. like you say, fuck off, Rude fatty. <laughs> yeah, that's an extreme case. <laughs> <laughs> to get a woman to go like, oh my God. You know, and it's, it's, it's a way that people, insecure dudes, want to take down a high-profile woman by going up to, you know, Kate Blanchett and saying, hey, ugly bitch. And she's like, oh my God, I don't want to have sex with them. And I guess that has created some sort of traction in certain communities where people do that. But does it come from the schoolyard? Like when you're in a kindergarten and like... When someone's mean to each other, it means that they like you. Like, I guess that so. kind of thing. I, yeah, I, I guess so. I think it comes from that. But some guy wrote a book on like dating manipulation. Called the game. And his so just game. thought is that you do it intentionally to make them feel like they're not worthy of you. And then it's this like psychology. I don't know. It's so, pretty, it, so it builds you up because you exactly, talk down like, to them. Oh, who is he that he has so much confidence? Right. But uh, I don't know. It's kind of a weird tactic, but hey, people are out there making it work. Like how women are attracted to assholes. Exactly. It's like going going in with that mindset of like women are attracted to assholes, so you got to act like an asshole up front. Right. Yeah. Now it worked for my dad, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, it worked for for your dad. Here we all are. It worked for all of our dads. And um, but he was a you know he was a great dude. He was really funny. He was a good you know. Yeah, and I don't want to go. And I know this is like for some reason this podcast we always have to talk about death or it's like not the afterlife. Yeah. Um, I know (laughs) your 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 father passed when 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 you were a kid. uh, Was you become you becoming a bass player was part of it like wanting to be like dad? Was that where it came from, or did your dad like you're gonna be a bass player? Here, take this Fisher Price guitar, bass guitar. He was definitely not like that at all. Yeah, he was like, don't no. Like, like I wanted to become a bass player because like, you know, I mean, I was a daddy's girl. I loved him so much and I idolized him. And he told me all these like crazy stories about being on tour. And And how old are you? How how, how old were you when he? he... I mean, since I was a kid, like I grew up with him and all of his all of his rock and roll friends. So you were raging and like telling stories about that one time they they set fire to shit on stage in Hamburg, Germany. Do you remember the craziest story that your dad told you? There's there's one story where literally they laid lit stuff on fire like. During a show. During, during a set. show. So the creation was like an art an art band, an art rock band. What does an art rock band mean? Well, they would um, have big canvases on stage and 
paint them during their show and and while they're playing music yeah and then paint naked women there'd be like naked women and they'd be like painting the women while they were performing yeah and then they would light these canvases on fire <laughs> and, fucking drugs and then in one instance um they threw the can these burning canvases into the audience and and that didn't really go over so well and they ended up getting banned from that city did anyone get injured I, ooh, you know what who I, knows you know, i don't really know but um it was enough for them to not get asked back i've never tommy have you heard of art rock before no i've heard of math rock but art rock is new yeah well and and i mean it was kind of like the you know they they alluded to the sort of the psychedelic era and stuff like that you of know our, our music is red with purple flashes and yeah. one of their one of their big songs is called painter man and painter man painter man what does that mean paint i w- went to college studied art yeah did <laughs> some psychedelics and yeah so yeah and we will get to psychedelics at some point i know sure i know huh? <laughs> <laughs> um not literally during the show but okay so uh so you when you when you first picked up a bass guitar, how old were you? I remember telling people I was a bass player when I was about seven years old, and I was like hanging out with my little school friends in my dad's studio, telling them I was a bass player, and I picked up one of his basses and dragged it across the. I was it was too heavy for me to carry. Yeah, and I was yeah, just yeah. kind of dragging it across the floor, and I was like, I'm a bass player, and I didn't even really know what that meant yet. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until later that I actually seriously started to really want to play. What's later? About 12? About 12. Yeah. And I was like... It was like, kind of a late start to be a baseball... I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> well, well... And your dad was resisting you yes, to learn it. I was like, hey, dad, I remember we were going on a family trip trip to England to um, go back and see his family. We'd go every year. And I was like, hey, dad, can we bring a bass so I can practice? And he was just like, no. But I think part of it was like traveling with a family of five. Sure. 12-year-old daughter never played bass once. To, you know, that's not going to happen. Um but yeah, he wasn't really that into the idea of me playing. Do you think if you were a boy, he would have been? I don't know. It's hard to know. say. Okay. So you were, um, that's my neighbor <laughs> probably coming up. Anyway, so you were doing, uh, you were playing the bass at 12. I, not he, yet, because he said no. Oh, he said no? Yeah. So you picked it up and then put it back down. Well, I asked him if we could take it to England so I can practice, and yeah. he said no. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And so it was that. actually his best friend that came over and gave me my first bass lesson. Really? Kind of behind your dad's back? Well, he <laughs> rang the doorbell and showed up with a bass and an amp. And dad was like, cool, you're, you're bringing me stuff to check out. And he's like, no, no, this is for Eva. She's been begging you for years oh my God, to have a bass lesson. Yeah. He was, I think he was just like, uh, okay. And then I was I sat down and had my first lesson. And I basically like took to it like a fish Oh, really? In so water. right away, did you feel that this is, this is it? Yeah, this is that was life. it. Like I was, God, I was hooked. Damn, and then, that's so cool. And he was like, okay. My dad was like, okay, well, I guess this is happening. So it wasn't until then that he actually... And this Took is when you're 12 wings. still? Or a little bit later? Later. 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 13, 14. 13, 14. Yeah. So knowing what you want to do at age 13, I, I always really envy people like that because I didn't even, I've joked about this. I think when I was 13, I was still trying to figure out which hand to jerk off with. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To take the, the, the crookedness out of my penis. But uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not even kidding. Like that was like the, the degree to where my brain, but I had no idea. I just took the classes in public school and played soccer and I never had any idea about I think at one point I was like I won't be a vet because I like kittens or something like that <laughs> mm-hmm. but that That's was adorable extended. so whenever I find people go hey I knew at this age I always find it amazing um, but not not singing that wasn't your original interest singing yeah um, no I was shot down when I was a kid for singing when you tried to sing yeah and people were like oh no wrap Dude, it up kids are sensitive man like, oh yeah like a kid in art class being told their paintings dumb or wrong by a teacher like that's enough to, to ruin you for a long time and that happened Absolutely. that happened to me with singing i was in second grade and uh i was in mr music's class and we were i was in a catholic school and we were singing songs about jesus and i remember trying to imitate miss martin was like our, our other she used to do all the masses and stuff and play piano and sing and i remember trying to imitate her and i was like god bless jesus and i was just like singing in this like crazy falsetto trying to sound beautiful yeah and i thought it sounded beautiful yeah. and then and then um i got in trouble and i was told not to make fun of jesus well you got in trouble <laughs> yeah don't make who fun put of jesus who, who put you in trouble she mr music oh the teacher the teacher oh that, i thought it was like one of another kid no it was in music class 
And I was like really trying to sing really pretty and Im- oh. imitating our our um, our songstress and uh, in the church and and. Um, I bet you were sounding pretty good. Thank you. I mean, you know, at least I'm seven. You know, old religious people. Give me, give me a break. Any type uh, of silliness or fun, they, they just get mad at it. You know. But yeah. you're sen- you know, kids are sensitive. So Absolutely. I so uh, I kind of at that point I was like, okay, I guess. The, I have a quick sidebar to that. So I thought I could sing when I was probably in elementary school, maybe fourth grade. Mm-hmm. And I think it was something like maybe it was like st- I was we were on a bus from a field trip, and I had sunglasses. And when you're in elementary school and you got sunglasses, and maybe <laughs> and by, by I mean I'm talking about like maybe like six, maybe actually maybe seventh grade. You so were was, fucking king of the school. So I was like, you were slick, Rick. Yeah, but I had the sunglasses <laughs> to come back, and I and I and I started singing like it was like an R and B. It might have been like Stevie Wonder, My Sherry Amore. I might have seen like Eddie Murphy, or and I was like, My Sherry Amore, and I was singing, and I thought I sounded really good. And these and everyone on the bus was like looking at me, and I'm like, ah, I got their attention, fucking killing it. And then after I was, I, I sang like the verses I knew. It was kind of quiet. And then this girl leaned into me. She goes, wait, you know you can't sing, right? That's terrible. You know you're a terrible singer. And I was like, and I literally like never really sang again. See? And, that's and that's so, I so go to, mean. But here's the caveat for me. <laughs> okay. When uh-huh. I went to graduate school for acting, not to brag. Anyway, um, we had, there's, a, there's a music class. There's a singing class. Uh-huh. And uh, I told the teacher that. Deb Lapidus is her name. Right. I said, this happened, and it kind of scarred me. I never yeah, really bro. sang again. She's like, oh, that's awful. Kids are awful. Kids are awful. And then we had a cabaret coming up later. She gave me, like, everyone had, like, three or four songs. I had one song. I go, why do I have one song? She goes, because it's less painful that way. So oh. she basically just corroborated what this bitch on the bus did. Oh, anyway, damn, dude. And since then, but you know what? I still sing, motherfuckers. I'm just yeah. bad at it. Anyway, so back back to back to our regular scheduled program. Hey man, if so you, you were shut down for heart. singing, but you had and, and at that point you made a decision like I'm not a singer in your head, a mantra. I, I mean, of. I guess subconsciously, but at that same time, I also learned in that same music class. I learned cool instruments like bass, xylophone, and Glockenspiel and woodblock. Glockenspiel. Glockenspiel. What is a Glockenspiel? It's like again? a little xylophone. Xylophone. Yeah. What's the xylophone again? Um, it's got like a little mini a little piano, metal rods that you hit. Oh, like okay. metal ding, 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 ding with the different sides. Yeah. Ding. Okay, got it. Exactly. Oh, got it. Got it. Okay. The xylophone. You know what a xylophone is? I do now. Yes. yes. So it's, it's like a type of xylophone, basically. Okay. Some more bell-based um, xylophone. And, and did did music just kind of click for you and make sense? And you, all the stuff was kind of like notes and everything. Yeah, somewhat. But yeah. I think I think that um, you know, kids are very apt to learn and 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 um. I think everybody was good in that class, you know, because it's like you're, you're, um, you're open to it. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's a very positive way. I think sometimes you can be open to stuff and still be shitty at it. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess so. But I mean, if you if you have an inclination and it's nurtured, then yeah. Did you feel at any point where you told you were a prodigy? Did you ever feel that? Was there pressure to be a prodigy because your father? No. No. Never. And at what point did your father kind of go? Oh, my little girl's uh, a bass guitar player. I believe the first time that that really happened was like one of my first gigs when I played at the Whiskey, actually, uh-huh. when I was 15. And I played a show, my high school band, my all-girl Catholic school high school band um, opened up for a band called Cars Flowers, which uh-huh. is now Maroon 5. And um, Car is, They were called Car is Flowers? Car is Flowers, K A R A. Oh, Cara's flowers. flowers. Yeah. So we opened up for them at the whiskey and my dad was like my first roadie. He, oh, wow. He came in and, and had an ant, like got the ample set up for me and stuff like that. And I remember at that point being like, all right, dad's, dad's got my back. Oh, which that's was super cool. cool. Yeah. That, that's, that must be, I feel like a real blessing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, once he saw that I was serious and I wouldn't really take no for an answer and I was, I was really dedicated to it. That's when he sort of, he took me under his wing and showed me how to t- change the strings and and how to open it up and work on it and and um, it was I was really really grateful to have have those moments with him yeah and in a weird way I think that I'm grateful that he that I was told no sure at first because that really made me realize that like I really wanted it yeah um, there was 
Green Day was really big at, at the time in high school, and all my all my girlfriends wanted like a, a blue guitar, just like Billy Joe Armstrong's. Yeah, and they all got the, this blue guitar, and literally like within a year, they were all in pawn shops because oh, they're just wow. like, I want a guitar, and they got a guitar, but it was just like a fleeting kind of a thing, and they got what they asked for, and it took me years before I got a bass yeah. of my own. Like I had to freaking work for it and prove myself and. I think being told no and having to work for it made me realize that actually, yeah, I do really want this. And, and, uh, I'm actually grateful for that. Yeah. Do you, do you remember the moment where you did someone buy your first bass guitar? Or did you have to buy it yourself? Did you have to save up all your like newspaper boy money? I don't know. How do people make money? No, I didn't, I didn't, um, buy my first, I was actually borrowing other people's bases for a really long time. And, um, for Christmas one year, um, my sister asked for a guitar, and when I saw the guitar case under the Christmas tree, I was like, oh, cool, my sister got her guitar, that's awesome. And my parents were like, well, did you look at the name tag? Oh. And, uh, and that, was my, that was my first And your sister bass. did not get into music? My sisters are, are both musical. Oh, really? Yeah. We, we used to play like, together. And you never had a band, though? We, no, not officially. Um, yeah. They're both very musical, but they didn't take it as seriously as I did. Yeah. Um, but... You now, know. now, growing up with uh, your father, now would you say your father was a rock star? Was that kind of like the the nomenclature for him? Um, sure. Yeah. yeah. Did you feel like growing up that way? Did you feel like you grew up fast? I mean, if he was bringing all of his band members, was were there moments where you look back and go, "Wow, as a kid, maybe I shouldn't have been exposed to this." I look or, back now and I'm like, "Oh, that's not a normal childhood. Yeah. Like kids aren't exposed to that. Like, like, I mean, you know, like John." Like Julian Lennon's hanging out, like you know, Mick Taylor from the Stones. Like all these guys are hanging out in my living room, and I'm I. And at the time, I had I had no idea, you know, like John Whistle from the Who, and they were all like really good friends. And at the time, I didn't know. I was just like, oh yeah, um, all my parents' friends hang out all night, and sometimes when I wake up for school in the morning, they're still there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, you know, or someone's passed that out on the couch. You never knew who was going to be be yeah. hanging out. And um, but my parents also, I also grew up in a bar. So yeah, what was the bar that you're, you're, uh, that you grew up in? Is so it, Dad started the Cat and Fiddle. So the Cat and Fiddle. I don't know if you've heard of that, Tommy. It was actually it's not around anymore, right? Hello, hi guys, how you doing? Susan and Sam. Hi. Hi. Going? We're doing Tommy after. Oh, Sam right. Emerson. Yeah, 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 for sure. Right, oh my God, here. Tommy, you have so many fans. Um, so, uh, Cat and Fiddle is the Cat and Fiddle still around, but in the new location, right? Is it still called Cat? Yeah, and Fiddle? we moved. Okay, and how? When did Cat and Fiddle start? What year? Started in 1982. 1982. Actually, on, uh, on Laurel Canyon, right up the street from. Oh, here. it was on Laurel Canyon because yeah. I remember when it was on Hollywood, right? Uh, Sunset. Sunset. Yes. Yeah, it started on Laurel Canyon. It was right where um, Pache is now. In the 80s. 1982. So, God, there must be some fucking stories yeah. from that. Yeah. Like, that was, like, are there, like, Motley Crue stories? I mean, who, who else? Guns N' Roses, like, all the, like, from, at least on the Sunset location, like, all, like. Yeah. They shit ain't, like, out. crazy stuff ever go down there that I'm you remember sure, or heard Well, of or? I'm, I'm sure it did, but, like, I was a child and um, my mom, bless her, like, always did a good job of, like, trying to protect us. And yeah. we didn't hear or see a lot of the stuff that I, yeah. that was going on and it's funny because i some people now like will tell stories and i'm like i don't know that that was going on like, <laughs> oh, yeah i was about to say that must have happened a lot right yeah i mean it was the 80s in hollywood yeah i can't i, I just saw the the dirt on on netflix yeah, yeah i saw that what did you think about that did that seem it seemed obviously very accurate because the people all vouched for it who were a part of it it was entertaining i mean i guess it was based on the on the book right which yeah. i haven't read but i hear is a pretty wild um so what are some stuff that you heard in retrospect that you were like wow that was going on and, <sighs> I, and i and as a child i was shielded from it i don't i don't know just i mean obviously like i always think about i always think about drugs because i grew up in a very like my dad was a nerd my mom was a classic drunk so that was it and drugs were sort of what was happening in the inner cities and people were dying um so <laughs> i really i really and this is interesting and i guess i can talk about this one I, i've always been very weird about drugs because mm -hmm. my dad was Republican like you go to hell if you smoke weed type of thing mm -hmm. and then we would go to the Washington Monument for the 4th of July and you would smell grass it was like oh my god 
those hippies are smoking grass. Yeah. Um, so it's, I've only recently become uh, into marijuana. He's a born again pothead. I'm a born again pothead. <laughs> I love that. And part of it, I want I want to tribute to you because um, and uh, we we were hanging out one night with our mutual friends, James and and Ollie after a show, and and they're amazing guys and and, music, and when we went back to, to Ollie's place and we were, um, and Molly came up. Uh, and she's so hot. No, anyway. So, so, and I'd never done, I'd never done anything. I never did Molly. I never, I'd say I smoked weed like twice. Uh, and I was like, no, man, I don't, I don't need it to like be, I don't need know, to have fun, to be myself, to be, I'm already authentic. I did landmark forum. I don't need, you know, oh my God. and, um, and I, so I took Molly, uh, cause I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm cool. And like all my insecurities were like, <laughs> You're a piece of shit, Bill. You're a loser. And I and I, I started going into this really. That's not, that's not supposed to happen. No, not the opposite <laughs> of Molly. But you remember that, and I just remember feeling like just feeling very old and unsuccessful. And you just kind of like talked me through it. And by the way, I, I want to say thank you for that. You're welcome. Because I was having a really rough moment. I know that's what drugs do. They like they bring stuff to the surface. Um, <laughs> But and meanwhile, so it's James and Ali and Eva, and they're all like, you know, because they're all like patting my leg and like oh, it's yeah, okay yeah, yeah. and like rubbing my shoulder, and uh, <laughs> and I just had this moment of, of also feeling very supportive and very loved by people, mm-hmm. uh, and I didn't really know Ali then, and, and now I feel like a, a bond with him because of it, um, and you, and you in particular really kind of were like, hey, you know, let's, what are you feeling, and 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 you're good, you're wor- you're worthy of love, and you're worthy of the affection, and and it was like a really kind of powerful moment. So I don't think that's I've great. ever told you that really. Um, yeah, I had no idea that that's what was going on in yeah, your mind. Because I think that I've I've spent a lot of time in my life yeah. trying to, maybe a lot of people trying to control, like you think th- the point is controlling your mind right. as opposed to unfettering your mind. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, Letting it go. And- yeah. So, so on drugs, what is your, when did you, have you ever had a, because look, dealing with comics, most every comic has had either an issue with, with alcohol or marijuana or something else sometimes um i mean this guy's a fucking stone stoner hey, thank you. <laughs> no. uh but what was your because and a, a good friend of mine well i haven't talked about mike doty who was a man called soul coughing i don't remember him i don't know if you but he was always a brilliant guy very straight laced but there was a point where he felt like in order to succeed in as a rock star mm-hmm. you needed drugs right and maybe heroin it was almost like as a rapper, you needed to be shot. If you need, if you wanted to be a rock star, you needed to have a bout with heroin or meth or something heavy in order to give you street cred. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how that works with you or how that showed up in your life, but I'm just kind of curious how you look at that. Well, it's funny because I was just exposed to so much of that as a, as a kid and just ex- exposed to all of it. And, and to me, drugs and alcohol, I just associated with people having fun. Yes. Everyone was laughing. You know, my, my dad and his friends were all British and they yeah. were just like British humor and British wit and and yeah. just laughing and having a good time and carrying on. And, and so to me, it was like, I look back now, I'm like, okay, obviously, like, there was a lot of alcoholism and stuff involved, and especially growing up in the bar. But at the time, there was a lot of laughter. There was a lot of fun. It was like, everyone was having a good time. So it wasn't like this weird, deep, dark thing that I, I that people can associate it with. Like, you know, I was never exposed to any... You know, dad was a fun guy. You know, yeah. there was never any anything um, like, you know, there's no abuse or anything like that. So I'm grateful. Um, and he was around and he was a good dad and just liked to have a great time. Yeah. And so I never felt like none of that was a mystery to me. So I never felt like I had to like rebel against my parents because like for me, rebelling would be like getting good grades. Yeah. Like I was the first person in my in my family to graduate college. Oh wow! So where did you go to college? UCLA. UCLA. Okay. Yeah. So so it was like I could never outdo my parents. Like they were kids in the '60s. Yeah. And '70s. Like that era was just like freaking epic. Yeah. So you have nothing to prove. I have nothing to prove. And my parents are cool. Like they, you know, we'd have like a little glass of champagne at on New Year's or Christmas or something like that when I was a kid. It wasn't like a big weird mystery. They weren't. You know, it wasn't like super weird controlling household so it was never a mystery i never really had an issue with that and the funny thing is going into music and touring like sure there's a lot of that involved as far as like there's alcohol everywhere and people have a drink after the show but on the other side of that for us to be able to do a good job and do our thing like there's no room for that 
that quote unquote like rock and roll lifestyle. Like maybe yeah. if it's your own band and you are like a Motley crew or where you're all band members and you know, there's more leeway to do that stuff. But when we're part of a multi-million dollar production yes. for, for an artist, you know, like there's, there's, it, it's kind of funny. It's like pretty not unrock and roll as far as like we stay healthy. We, you know, there's no like, yeah, crazy shit. Cause there's no room for it. We got to do yeah. our job. We got to do it right. And if you don't, if you fuck up, there's plenty of people waiting right there to take your gig from you. Yeah. I think that probably reflects a lot in the comedy world too, because I think in the eighties with Sam Kinison and Bill Hooks right. being counterculture and drugs were, it gave you this kind of legendary status this and edge gave you this whatever. edge. And I feel, I don't know when it happened, but maybe in the nineties at some point, maybe in music and in comedy, it just no longer became so cool to be an addict. Right. You know it wasn't I mean? edgy anymore. Yeah. So I, I may, maybe that was also just a product of how everything's become more corporate and. Yeah, and, maybe. And and the idea that like you sell out if you become corporate sort of as an idea has phased away. I think it was right after Snoop Dogg uh, started doing all of his wacky shit and Ice Cube did like a, a kitty movie. They're like, oh, okay. So you don't have to be. This guy, you don't have to be yeah. shot. You don't have to be a drug addict. Like Ice T's and Law and Order. Yeah, exactly. And no one's like he's a <laughs> playing style a cop. Addict. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. So, um, so did you ever have struggles with it? Did it ever was it something that you've always been able to take with as as a fun thing in your in your life, yeah. or was there ever moments where you felt like this is becoming something that's controlling me? I'm lucky because I felt like I never did struggle with it in the way that other people have, and I feel like. For me, it was its priorities, yeah. right? It's like for me, my priority is to do a good job, to to do well. I'm playing in a band. I want to, I want to deliver. I want to support who I'm playing with. Like I want to do a great job, so I'm not gonna um, risk that. Yeah. And so, sure, I had fun. Like you know, like I was a barfly. Like whatever. Like I definitely um, uh, love enjoying myself. But there's a time and a place. Yeah. Yeah. So I think for me, it was like I, I knew how to and know how to prioritize. And for me, um, keeping that it's helped to keep that in check. Yeah. And when was the first moment that uh, that the bass guitar became sort of your lifestyle in terms of your career? When did you you were in college? Were you in college? You were in college for some crazy thing. What was it ethnomusicology? Yeah. Was it? Ethnomusicology. Have you heard of that before, Tommy? Wakefield? I have not. Ethnomusicology, which is what again exactly? It's the study of world music and culture. So okay. it's like a cross between anthropology and musicology. And at this point, you were already like, I'm going to be a musician. Yes. Yes. Okay. And I was a musician. I and mean, I was playing in bands and doing okay. that stuff. So the but, degree was to what end? Well, um, I just wanted to finish school and wanted yeah. to just incubate a little. I got tour offers while I was in college, but yeah. I just felt like I needed to incubate a little bit more yeah that makes sense. whatever reason and um and then as soon as i finished college i got my first tour and what was that who was that with the mars volta the mars volta yeah i don't know mars volta do you tommy yeah what type of band are they um it was it was like um it's like a kind of a prog i know i've prog heard of band. them i feel like i've seen kids like progressive cool kids. rock progressive rock Ooh. i feel like i've seen cool kids wearing the shirt <laughs> Does that make sense? Okay, so and that so that I mean that must be a big deal getting your first tour with a. Oh my god, it was amazing. I was like, how, how, I was like, I made it, and I was sleeping on floors and yeah. and touring in a van, and I was like on top of the freaking world. So like it was all I ever wanted to do was go on tour. Yeah, that's and it was amazing. it was it was awesome. So was it was the audition? Was it like a, an open call with hundreds of people with the guitars? Like that actually wasn't an audition. I a friend of mine called me. Um, that I had known from high school and he called me up and said, Hey, I'm playing with these guys who are looking to start a new band and called me up and I met them and we started playing together and writing songs and it just took off from there. That's amazing. Now th this will lead to the, the, the pink elephant in the room. Bottom. Okay. So obviously your, your, uh, connection partnership with pink is probably at this point, the defining moment of your, your career in terms of like, how how much has come from it how much time you've spent with the band and with her um how did that come about that came about that was an audition and oh wow i had actually auditioned uh were you a fan of hers when you auditioned i i knew who she was yeah. and i was familiar with her music but um but i didn't i wasn't like that deep in i yeah. didn't really really know um 
but I uh, actually did an audition for. Do you remember that sto- that show, Rockstar in Excess? When they were trying to find a oh, they're trying to find the lead, lead singer in Excess. I do remember that. So I auditioned to be in the house band for that yeah. show, and I didn't get that gig. But um, the musical director remembered me for that, and when Pink was looking for a bass player, t- he called me two years later. Wow! And good God, that's so cool. Yeah, he remembered you. Yes. Two years later. Two years later. He hadn't been following you on. Some sort no, of- I think you know when you're a musical director, you sort of put together, yeah. you you put put people in your memory bank for a time and place when it might be appropriate or whatever. So he called me up two years later, and said, "Pink needs a bass player. Do you want to audition?" I said, "Absolutely," and it was like me and two other people. Fire. And I I oh, tried you and out. Oh, two other people. So it was already heavily vetted, obviously. Well, yeah, because I mean the turnovers was was really going to be really really quick. Yeah. And um, so it was me and two other people, and then I ended up getting the call. And, uh, and it's funny, actually, I was in a movie theater when the musical director called me to tell me I'd gotten the gig and, you know, a movie's like two hours long, whatever I get out of the film and I see, I have a message from him and he's like, Hey, so you got the gig. Congratulations. But if you don't call me back within the next 10 minutes, I'm giving it to the next person. Yeah. And I'm going like, "Ah, I just been in a movie for two hours. Holy shit. And uh, I called him back, and he was like, ah, I was just fucking with you. Oh, oh my, my God. God. That's fucking yeah, awesome. I was like, I'm Hilarious. freaking out. But um, yeah, so he got me. He got me. But he said, uh, he said uh, okay, we're going to send you four albums of material to learn, pack for three months, and we'll see you in three days. Wow. So it was like fire. And so you signed on a great, and you hadn't met Pink yet at this point? No. So, so how much time total did you have to learn the discography? I had like three. I had like a couple days. Damn. Three days. That's why. I had one. I flew to Ireland. That was your first gig was in Ireland? It was in Ireland at, at Malahide Castle. Okay. And I fly to Dublin. I have one rehearsal with the band. Oh, my God. And a lot of the arrangements had changed. So the moment you met Pig, what, was, that a, was that a moment for you? It was like, hey, just get there. There's your place. Let's go. No, I, I met have her. like a music stand on stage or anything. No, with no. With Pink, yeah. Mm-mm. No, I met her at Soundcheck right before the first show. Mm-hmm. And she gave me a big hug and she said, welcome to the family. And then we played Has she heard, <laughs> thousands she, of people. She, she must have heard samples of you in the recording or seen. She, they videoed the auditions. Okay. So she. Yeah. Now at those. this point, um, this is a great thing about doing the Yard podcast. Listen to those motorcyclists. So, um, at this point, was was the idea of, of was your aesthetic part of the part of the band? Like, did you did you think like I have to look a certain way to fit in? Was it anything that was even talked about? Um, because I know we did talk briefly about sort of how you present yourself as a member of of a, of a cool of a cool band, mm-hmm. but also being in the background. And um, you want you want to stand out and you want to get attention, but you obviously mm-hmm. don't want to overshadow. So that's a very delicate balance. There's a balance to, for sure. Yeah, there's definitely a balance. And how did you how do you kind of find your way around? That? I just felt I just was just myself, yeah. I guess. And I think that like the other people that auditions were them auditioned were themselves as well. Like Prince's bass player auditioned, and she did her thing. Uh-huh. Um, she was herself, but it wasn't right for that yeah. particular you're just saying situation. That, that you're basically just saying you're better than Prince's bass player. No, right I'm now. not That's saying that uh-huh. at all. No, no. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> There's just like, you know, like you fit for certain, like I didn't fit, I didn't work for the, um, you know, the Rockstar show. Yeah. The Rockstar NXS show. Was yeah. this, was the pink thing post Gwen Stefani? Pre. Pre Gwen Stefani. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. I've, I've been with pink for 12 years. Oh, awesome. Now, has that been a consistent gig for 12 years? Or are there times, are there like long stretches where you're not working with her? There's there's stretches. Like she took, she, in between tours, there's breaks. So uh, it, on those breaks, I would play, I was playing with Gwen Stefani and like with Cher and yeah. different, different people. Do you, ever, do you ever feel, I know that when I've had headlining comics that I've worked with and also owners of comedy clubs, this one, I always feel like my job is in jeopardy. I always feel like, Man, I think they like me, but I could be fired any day. Why now. do you think that? Uh, we're gonna have the ecstasy, con- yes. the, the Molly conversation again, uh-huh. because it's true. Um, no, because I, f- I feel that I don't know if it's more precarious as a comic, or maybe Jamie likes to make people feel more unsteady in their their position with him. But um, I think that happens with anything, though. I mean, this is actually like a very rare position that I'm in for yeah. like, and it's been the same bands band change a lot all usually. the time, all yeah. the time. And I'm actually like still one of the newest members of the band. Mm. So oh, wow. it's, well, she so she's a loyal person. She's like, loyal. Yeah. Like, and that's not, 
common. Like it's yeah. super rare to, to be in a situation like this. And that's why it's so special and it's become a family because, and it starts from the top, you know? Yeah. So, um, that's a great point. so we're very, very fortunate that, that it's, it's like this, but you know, I mean, artists like get whole new bands all the time. Like you just, you never know. And you can't, um, you know, you can't like, you can't just say this is what I'm going to do for the next. Yeah, you just um, you just never know. But yeah, so so share was obviously something you started working with share, right? Yeah, and that was kind of in between tours with Pink. Yeah, or? so right after the last, not this last Pink tour, but the one before it, Pink finished. So a few of us from the Pink tour moved over to Share and toured with her. Yeah, and there's never a conflict of interest or like, what are you doing with that bitch? No, no, because they have the same manager. Ah, so that was was awesome. Yeah, it yeah, worked yeah. out great because like he's just basically kind of like. Like half of our tour went over to the share tour. Yeah, crew and everything. Two iconic people who only have one name. Yeah, which is really amazing. That's wow. true, actually. <laughs> yeah, um, that now, manager actually cool. has Sade as well. Oh wow! Yeah, that's, that's, so that's another. That's a requirement to work. Another with one them. namer. You, if you have two names, get the fuck out of my get office. Get out of here. <laughs> um, now I want to talk to you about your uh, your solo career. Yes. Because this is very fascinating to me, and this is also something that I think when we talked before about the idea of, of you stepping into your own. I think that was a conversation that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Chopping off and, the last name, you know? And feeling... Yeah, I know. I, I got to get to it. Eva. <laughs> and then just... Uh, and then finding the strength and the courage to do that. Now, I can also imagine if this is something that you become very passionate about and explodes in its own right, then it does become a conflict with you working with Pink. Do you ever think about that? Is that something that... Right now you're like fuck it. I'm just putting the work out there. I'm 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 working around. I'm making it all work. Yeah. You know. I mean, it's all it's all a balance, and um, I don't think any of it's really a conflict of interest. And and it's funny because there was someone that commented on when I was I posted the, the my music video that I had done recently, and, and I got some feedback on Facebook that was like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't just play bass. Like that's a con. That's what they said. It's a conflict of interest. You're you're jeopardizing your your um, chances of working with these people, like these people that you work with, blah, blah, blah. And, and I said, no, it's not a conflict of interest. And I, it's interesting because like Pink had actually reposted my posts yeah. about my music that I had out. And that's the thing that's so incredible about her is that she's supportive of that. Yeah. And she, you know, it's like, there's no conflict of interest. Yes. Like I'm not. It's been 12 years. She knows yes. that. You yeah. But it's not like there's, there's, yeah. And also when Which when is actually really cool of her. Like she didn't have to oh, do that. Sure. But it's like yeah. there's no like she's not weird about it. It's actually support she's supportive of it. And yeah. and she's said she's so glad I'm I'm doing it and and it's really important that I'm doing it. And I think um being able to express yourself is, is important. Of course. Respect. And creativity I, I, is important and that and that is better for the whole, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I've always felt and also pink is I mean, I don't know if you toss the words icon or legend. She's definitely iconic sure. at this point. She's been around long enough, and she's been enough seminal things that she's an iconic singer, and she crosses all these generations. Um, I, I, I usually think that if you are someone who is iconic and you've achieved such a level of success, usually I find and, – and you're all – not just level – but she's also just immensely talented right. and, mm-hmm. and as a singer just obviously mm-hmm. uh, that you're less – you're more secure and you're less insecure about the people coming behind you. Should Usually be, yeah. the comics that even successful comics who treat people like shit, I'm like, you're, it's because you know, you're not that fucking good. Mm, right. The people who are really, really secure in what they're doing and their material and their career. Yeah. I, I don't think feel that way. That's, that's how, I mean, I, I can't imagine Tom Brady's looking at his backup quarterback. I'm like, fuck this asshole. You know what I mean? <laughs> For sure. So I just think that's a good, just a rule in general that the people who are at the top of their game are the best are usually usually ones who are a little bit more supportive. I'd hope so. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, and the cool thing is, is like like you know these these incredible women that I've had the honor of, of sharing a stage with are cool with having other women on stage because yes. I've actually gotten not gotten gigs because the lead singer of the band who's a chick is like, oh, I don't want another woman on stage. I don't want the competition. Yeah. So I don't get the job because hmm. I'm just because I'm a woman. Interesting. And I mean, I think that's just so unfortunate. Yeah, because sure. we should all be like supporting each other and lifting each other up, not like trying to tear each other down. And I mean, obviously, that comes from a place of insecurity. Yeah. But 
I also want to ask you, in, in terms of uh, being a woman bass player, when you were young, coming up, were there other female bass players in rock that you looked up to? Was it there even a formula to emulate at that point, or were you kind of one of the first people really doing it? They were definitely around. I mean, I remember my dad telling me about Carol Kay, okay. who was on. Um, she was like on all you know the Beach Boys stuff. She was like a part of the Wrecking Crew. Okay. And not a household name, but you've definitely heard, you know, every, like all the songs that she was played on, yeah. you know, her playing. Um, so, I mean, she was around, there were a few others. And so it wasn't super unheard of, Yeah, but it wasn't as widely known or widespread as it is now. And there must have been examples of sexism that you dealt with, not just from women, but from men who were like, this, she can't do what a male bass guitar player can do. I mean, I still get that. You still get that. I still get that. Do you ever want to just like, hey, let me have a let me have a one on one bass guitar match with this motherfucker right here? It's, it's what's really up. weird. Like, match. I can't believe it even still exists and that people still think this way. But in a weird way, it's like, I just want to play music. Like, I'm yeah. not trying to start a fight. I'm not, um, you know. Like, I had one guy recently tell me, um, uh, like, I I did a gig with him, and he's like, oh, when I when I when I saw you walk in the room, I was like, oh, there's gonna be a problem. Yeah. And he's like, oh, but then you started playing, and it was great. And, yeah. and and I was like but that must make you feel good and I was like thanks so, uh, so it's like this weird backhanded compliment like they're yeah. trying to pay you a compliment it's their way of but they're exposing of, themselves of trying to say, say yeah. nice job so it's like thanks yeah, yeah. but well, I mean yeah as a corollary when I go into Chocolate Sundays and I'm the white guy in the show <laughs> they're going like this guy's not going to be funny and then I prove that I'm not funny <laughs> oh, but, uh, I don't know if that's a proper corollary, but I, th I think yeah. there makes so it, you feel like it's, it's still something. <laughs> but it must feel good because I also want to talk. I feel like I have to give you this shout out. You have Fender uh, made a guitar for you and sells it. It's, it's I was like, yeah. I was you have the, a Gardner guitar. You can still buy it. I was the first. How did that come Female about? to have a signature bass with Fender. That's sick. Which is like insane. Are there other others since you? Not that I'm aware of. So you're the only female who has. I don't. I don't know for facts. I don't. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. But I. I don't How did know. that come about? Was that something they called you? Said, "Look, we're going to do this." I was. I was in Germany actually. I was at a trade show there and um, performing at a trade show in Fender Germany. We were walking around the trade show and looking at all the signature bases, all the different models like Roger Waters and stuff from yeah. Pink Floyd, and he was like, "You should have one of these." And I was like, "Oh, haha, yeah, yeah, thanks, whatever." <laughs> And he was like, no, really, I'm serious. And th those guys ended up spearheading this, this, this whole thing and, and made it happen. And I, I couldn't believe it. And I, I met with the Fender guys here at the custom shop and designed, designed it and, and uh, it ended up happening. Yeah. Which that's... I'm still in shock about. I mean, it's And can it's someone incredible. buy that, like go on eBay and buy? Uh, yeah. That's yeah. so cool. If yeah. I could afford it, I would definitely buy it. And I can't play either. Um <laughs> So we, we, we're going to have you do some music for us tonight. Sure. Before we do that, I just want to hear uh, what, what's coming up for the future. Anything to – not in the immediate future, but you're, you're going to be on tour with Pink for another tour coming up? Yeah, we head to Europe for the summer. Okay. So we'll be over there for a couple months doing, um, doing shows over there. Do you have any yeah. favorite countries to go to when you're touring? Oh, gosh. Yes. Um, I mean, there's so many wonderful places, but I love – London, just because it's where my, my family's from, sure. and I have roots there. So yeah. I always love visiting there. I love um, France. I love Paris, you know. Um, I love uh, I love lots of different places. Are there any, like, sort of old rock stars that were friends with your dad that you're still in touch with that maybe live out in London or America that you go visit them? They're, like, 80 now. They're like, let me tell you a story. A lot of them are no longer with us, unfortunately. Yes, Because yes. they, they burn the hard. candle at both yeah. ends. Um, but yeah, you know, yeah, you're in there. And, uh, so in terms of your handles, you're, you're on the, you're on the social medias. Yes. And you're stepping into your own on the social media. I know you're kind of like, fun. um, cause I was, I think we talked about this, that, that movie 50 feet from stardom. Did we talk about that? Yes. Yes. About backup singers yeah. and these amazingly talented women who mm -hmm. just kind of were like, so it, it, it is a step doing a, a solo and I think it's also amazing Thank and you, you. you you know deserve all the success we're, and we're gonna put this out when your next uh, EP comes out my EP yeah when it drops when it drops when it drops, when it drops. do white people drop stuff or is it we only, do we nowadays do? in 2019 we drop stuff <laughs> okay just not our keys and yeah. our Mostly phone and you're, <laughs> and you're at Eva Gardner Eva Gardner E-V-A-G-A-R-D-N-E-R mm -hmm. 
Okay, awesome. And yeah. uh, and check her out. She's amazing You're as a human kind. being. And also, I, I, I just have to say real quick, um, this podcast, uh, it just is a story of success, which always annoys me a little bit when like you just didn't f- fail in your life. What do you mean? You never became a drug addict. <laughs> it's not too late. You love your yeah, family. Yeah, plenty of time for that. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I didn't get that one in excess audition, but everything else... Yeah, anyway, oh, no, and then it's, it it's led also to performing with Pink for 12 years. Well, because you're a great person, great attitude. and, oh, and yeah. You, you have know. an awesome vibe. Thank you. I appreciate right? that. Totally. Thank I you. I had such a crush I on I think you, you get back what you put out there, right? Yeah. Yes. Amen. All right. So they say. Eva Gardner, we're going to play some music. We'll take a quick break that you will not hear because it'll just be a, <laughs> a second pause. Ding, ding. Okay. <laughs> Just a broken vessel For your late night whims Don't know why I always Why I always give in I just want a connection Thirsty for your love I know I should know better But can't seem to break free of that feeling, that reeling. You make me feel like a dirty word, a dirty bird. I've got my hand on the bottle. And I'm ready to drown You rile me up Just to let me down I just want some affection Hungry for your love I know I should know better But can't seem to break free of I don't 
After laugh, after laugh, welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh, <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>